want to ask, if you will, to open your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 15, this morning. Thank you for your prayers uh, during my isolation. I'm feeling very well, but I think I praise God for the most is no one else in the house tested positive at all. So very thankful for that. I do want to ask you to pray for Emma specifically. She's fighting a bit of an infection right now. She's on an antibiotic, and we had hoped to be able to bring her out to the picnic this afternoon just for a little bit, but it doesn't look like we're going to be able to. So just pray for her to recover quickly if you will. Genesis 15, and and before I read the text, I want to say a word of thank you to Michael. There's nothing like getting a call Friday afternoon about one asking you to preach Sunday morning, but Michael's always, his spirit is just that of a servant, and of course he said he'd be glad to, so I'm very thankful for Michael and his willingness to fill the pulpit last week. I want to read this entire chapter, so bear with me and follow through what's going on. I'd remind you that in the story of Abraham, in this narrative, Genesis 14 is really one of the high points where Abram and and his militia, basically, have defeated a, a, um, a group of kings and rescued his nephew Lot, rescued the king of Sodom. And Abraham takes a firm stand when the king of Sodom says, let me give you all this wealth. And Abraham says, nope, just give my men what they're due. But I'm not going to take anything from you lest you say you made me wealthy rather than God. So that's a high point. But what we're going to see in Genesis 15 is that high point is immediately followed by a season of doubting. Follow with me if you will. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be be and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness and he said to him I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess but he that is Abram said oh Lord God how am I to know that I shall possess it he said to him bring me a heifer three years old a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, 
Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. May God be glorified in the reading and the hearing of his word this morning. We all need reassurance at one time or another. At some point in our lives, in fact, many times in our lives, we just need to hear that voice saying to us, everything's going to be okay. I had an experience like that about a week and a half ago. I mean, literally, I heard the voice saying that. We were having a stressful day at the house. The stress was compounded by the fact we were getting ready to, to celebrate our granddaughter's first birthday in the backyard by putting up a, a, a canopy and some other things and getting everything ready for that. And I have to confess to you, as I was out there in the heat, I was just getting a little frustrated with this. I was being that grumpy old man. Why can't we just get a cake and some ice cream? And I was getting stressed. And that's when my three, almost three-year-old grandson, Kimball, was out in the backyard. He picked up on the fact that Papa was getting a little bit agitated. And I heard him say this. I heard this voice, Papa, everything's going to be okay. And I looked up and he had his hands open like this and he started singing. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. And I thought, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> it was that little reminder of reassurance. Abraham's in a spot right now where he needs that reassurance. He needs to know that everything's going to be okay. Now, at first, that seems odd because, as I said in chapter 14, he has won a great victory. He has established himself as one of the leading men in the area. But I think he also realized something. He realized his own mortality. He's 85 years old now. He just survived battle. And I think within that was the recognition of, you know what? I'm not going to live forever. It's that scary moment when we become aware of our frailty. That as we get older, we realize that time's fleeting quickly and we're indeed not going to be around forever. That moment we realize that, you know what? Dare I say it? We're getting old. I had a moment of that realization, and one of those real clear moments uh, when Emma was in the uh, ICU at the University of Tennessee Medical UT Hospital, and they were throwing all these different possible diagnoses to us. Well, the good thing about being at the University Hospital, they had a small medical library there at the hospital, so I decided I was going to go research what all these different words meant. 
So I go down to the library, and there's a young lady behind the counter. And I go up to her, and I say, could you please show me where the card catalog is? Now, for those of you that are not aware, let's see. That is a card catalog. It's this big container, this cabinet of, of drawers that you pull out and you look at cards. So I asked this young lady, where's the card catalog? She looked at me as if there was a dragon coming out of my head. What? A card catalog? I've never heard of that. What do you mean you've never heard of a card catalog? Everything we have is on computer. Oh, well, if you want to do it the easy way, I guess. But it was that moment. The world's changing, and I'm getting older. Now, it's easy for someone that's in your 50s to start realizing we're getting older and that we are, are mortal. It's harder for young people to realize that because there's a sense of invincibility. When you're 18, 19 years old, you think there is nothing in the world that can happen to you. That's why whenever there's a death that occurs it's in high school, it's tragic. Because it's that reminder that even in youth, life is but a vapor. Abram had had a brush with death. And it's left him shaken and full of doubt. Look at what he says in verses 2 and 3 and then verse 8. He basically says to God, what will you give me if I continue? In other words, if I continue living, what good is it? I don't have a child. Okay, God, you've promised me that I'm going to have offspring Greater than the number of sand by the seashore. But God, I don't have son number one. And I'm 85 and these kings may come back against me and I might die. That's what's underneath this. That's the undercurrent. You see this echoed again in verse 8 where God says, I've called you out. You're going to possess the land. What does Abraham say? How can I know? God, how can I know I am frail and life is moving on? Now, the interesting thing to me is that notice how compassionate and gracious our God is. He doesn't reprimand Abraham. He doesn't say, Abram, I've just given you victory over 14 kings. He doesn't say, Abram, do you remember how I delivered you in Egypt even though you lied to me? God doesn't reprimand him. Instead, God is gracious and takes the initiative to reassure Abram. Notice that before Abram says, word one, God speaks to him in a vision, fear not. God knows the fears that are plaguing our soul. He gives us grace in those fears. But I want you to notice that even though God knows, Abram still expresses what's going on in his heart. You see, often we fall into this, this attitude of, well, if God knows, why, why should I tell him? We should tell him, first of all, because we are in a relationship with God. How do you feel when you're in a relationship with someone, whether it be a friendship or a marriage, and there's something going on with that person, but they won't share that with you? Are you okay? I'm fine. Is something bothering you? No. No, come on now. What, what's on your mind? Nothing. And you know the whole while something's going on there. We're in a relationship with God, and relationship calls for communication. So that's what Abram does. He communicates because not only is that necessary for a relationship, it's also healthy. 
You recognize that often the snippiness, the agitation, the anger comes because we have these fears that we're keeping inside and they are growing and festering like rust on our souls. It is healthy to express these fears because God is not going to castigate you for expressing your concerns to him. He says to Abram, fear not. I'm your shield. This image of security. I'm what you can hold on to when everything around you is crumbling. Abram, I'm your shield. Your reward will be very great. In other words, Abram, you can trust me. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. You see, that's where we need to ask ourselves when we face these fears and we become aware of them, whether it be fear of our own mortality, fear of the economy, fear of you fill in the blank. Where's our trust? If we're trusting in the economy for security, we're going to be so sorely disappointed. If we are trusting in anything but God, we will see that we are doing what Jesus told us not to and we are building our house on shifting sand. If we're looking to anything other than God for security, we're like the man who decided to do some repair on his roof. And he climbed up the steep slope of his roof. And he was a little bit nervous about this, so his son was out there with him. And as he was climbing up, he came back down because he had an idea. He said, I'm scared that I may fall, so son, I'm going to tie this rope around me. And when I start going up the ladder, you go and you tie the end of that rope to the tree on the other side of the house. That way, if I start to fall, the tree will catch me, I'll be okay. The dad starts up the ladder. He's got the, the rope connected to him. The son goes around, and he looks at the tree. He says, man, that tree looks small, but there's the car. So he ties the end of the rope to the back bumper of the car. A few minutes later, mom comes out of the house to make a quick trip to the grocery store in that car. And the man came down from the roof very quickly, if you know what I mean. What are you connecting to for security? God says, I am your, your shield. I am your security. And I will give you reward. And the Lord is emphatic about this because notice when Abraham expresses his doubts, I have no other offspring. So Eleazar of Damascus, who is probably a servant, will have to be my safety, have to be my offspring. Notice verse 4, God is clear. This man shall not be your heir. Your own son will be your heir. And then in verse 5, God gives an incredible promise to Abraham. Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. So shall your offspring be. That's an amazing promise. Look at the stars. You know, we never get a full glimpse of a truly starry night because of the ambient lighting. Recently, the James Webb Telescope, Space Telescope, has been sending back incredible pictures of space. Count those stars. Abram, that's what your offspring will be like. Count them, Abram. That'll be the number of your descendants. So the question then is, how can this, how will this be fulfilled? How is this 85-year-old man going to have descendants that are greater than the number of those stars in those pictures? We well, must understand that the fulfillment of this promise is far more than Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 tribes. 
the fulfillment of this promise is far greater than Israel. This promise is fulfilled in the church and all those who are saved. Paul made this point in Romans chapter 9 when he said, he's dealing with the issue of, will Israel be saved? Will those who are physical, biological descendants of Abram be saved? He says, it's not that the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. In other words, Israel has to be recognized not just as a geopolitical entity, Israel is far broader than that. Israel is a word for those who are called by God and follow God in faith. Not all, verse 7, are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it's not the children of the flesh, that is, biological children who have a genetic code related to Abraham who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. Who are the children of the promise? We are. Those who have faith in Christ are the children of the promise. Galatians 4.28, Paul says, Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. We, church, are those who are the fulfillment of what God said to Abraham. That's what we sang this morning in that chorus of that wonderful song, By Faith. I'll remind you of the words of that chorus. We will stand as what? As children of the promise. The promise they're referring to in that hymn, the promise that uh, that Paul is referring to is the promise made to Abram that through faith the descendants that will come from you will be greater than the stars. So you look at the millennium of believers and we can say truly God has fulfilled his word and the key to that fulfillment is found in verse 6 how are we counted as children of Abraham by faith verse 6 he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness that is a crucial verse for understanding how we are made right with God That verse is quoted three times in the New Testament and alluded to at least once. It's understanding that it is not our works that make us right with God. It's not our biological heredity that makes us right with God. It is faith. So when he says he believed the Lord and he, that is God, counted it to him, that's an accounting term. It's saying that in the ledger of Abram's life, he was running at a deficit. He owed God more good than Abram could ever, ever pay. So by faith, God credits Abram's account so that now Abram's account before God is running in the black. Not because Abram has done things to merit such favor, but because he trusted God. That is called the doctrine of imputation. When Paul refers to this passage in the book of Romans chapter 4, he talks about how we, as believers, by faith, are credited with the righteousness of Jesus. And that is glorious good news. That means on the day when you and I believers stand in front of God, we are not relying on our works or our goodness to say, Lord, I've earned getting into heaven. We can't. But what God will see in our ledger before Him 
is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. His good works applied to us. That's what's happening here. Now, there are those who will say, well, then why should you do good works? We do them, one, because our souls have been transformed. There becomes a desire to live. And the works that the New Testament lay out before us are simply the resurrection life that God desires for us to live. So the question is, not do we do good things to earn God's favor. It's why would we not do good things to live the life that God intends? But we don't rely on those things. They're like dirty rags in front of God. It's by faith. By faith we are made right with God. And this faith is not an easy believism. It's a faith that says I am banking all. All my life, all my actions, everything upon this. A good picture of faith is what occurred on June 30th of 1859. Charles Blondin was known as one of the great acrobats of the day. In fact, in his acrobatic skill, he developed this daredevil mentality of stringing a high wire tightrope across canyons and other places. In fact, even across Niagara Falls. And then walking back and forth. And on June 30th, he had taken a, a, a rope across Niagara Falls. And the crowds gathered to watch Blondin. So first he goes across it with the, the bar. And the manager of Blondin is in the crowd. And he's working the crowd up into a frenzy. Blondin, Blondin, Blondin. He pulls out the wheelbarrow. So do you believe that I can walk across this with the wheelbarrow? Yes, Blondin, we believe, we believe. He goes across and comes back, pushing the wheelbarrow. And then he says this, Who of you believe that I can push this wheelbarrow across the tightrope with somebody in it? We believe, we believe. And then Blondin said, Who will be my volunteer? And you'll notice the wheelbarrow is empty. Faith is getting in the wheelbarrow. It's saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you completely. I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to trust you. That is the faith that brings about righteousness with God. Now, Abram needs even more reassurance. Notice the language of verse 7. I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. That is covenant language. If you were to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20 verses 1 through 3, you would read something very similar where God says to Israel through Moses, I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. God says, I am the Lord who, who rescued you. And I'm going to give you this land to possess. Now, the question comes from Abram then, how can I know? How can I be sure that I'm going to possess this? And then verses 9, really through verse 17, contains one of those odd passages of Scripture that it's like, I don't really understand what's going on here because it seems a little bit different. God enters into a covenant with Abram. Now, we are used to thinking in terms of contracts. Contracts are good and binding, but a covenant takes it a step up. A covenant is entered into to define the relationship and set the boundaries of it. Covenants are relational, not just business-wise, but they are relational at their very essence. 
That's why, for example, when a husband and wife enter into a marriage covenant, we identify the relationship and set the boundaries. Do you take such and such to be your wife? Do you take such and such to be your husband? And clinging only unto them, we set the boundaries. Well, God enters into this, and he orders Abram to get some animals. And these animals are sacrificed. A covenant is sealed with blood. And it's a way of saying that if the covenant is broken, if I break the covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to me. If I breach this covenant we're making, let me die. That's the seriousness of a covenant. So God tells Abram to get these animals and to cut them in half. And lay them half against the other. So you have part of a bull here, part of a bull here, or heifer. Part of a goat here, part of a goat there. Now the birds he did not cut in half, even though they were sacrificed. Now, verse 11 is odd. It's one of those details that when you read through here, you think, why? When the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. It says that Abram was waiting. Part of his faith was in obedience of waiting to see what God would do. He's being obedient to God and now he's waiting. And if I could even apply this metaphorically for just a moment, there are doubts that will work to chip away at your trust in God's covenant. It's the age-old words of Satan. Did God really say? Things that will happen that will chip away and try to eat away. Sometimes they're big questions like, why evil? Chipping away at our belief in God. Personal suffering that will cause us to question, Lord, if you really love me, why is this happening? Those are the birds that will come that we must be like Abraham and shoo them away. How do we do that? I would say give voice to them. When those questions arise, give voice to the ask. Talk with one another. We're often afraid to do that because we, we're fearful. What will they think of me if I say, I've got this question about, about if God's good, why is there evil? You're not the first person to have that question. And I want you to know this is a safe place to ask those questions and to struggle with them because that's real. I would guarantee you there's not a Christian who has ever suffered that hasn't asked the question, why God? Why? That's where we must shoo these doubts away by, by voicing them even to the Lord in prayer and then cling to the gospel. You see, at some point, we have to come to the truth that God may not answer all of our doubts and questions directly. At some point, we may just have to cling to God, just like Job did, when he said, even if he slay me, yet will I love him. And it may be praying for that, saying, Lord, help me to get to that point. Because as Abram waits and he's shooing away these birds... He is given a vision of God that is a vision of the gospel. Now, if you thought things were weird already, they're about to get more weirder. The sun goes down and a deep sleep falls on Abram. This is the same terminology used of the sleep that fell on Adam when Eve was created. And behold, get this, a dreadful and great 
darkness fell upon him. This was a terrifying experience. To be in the presence of God is scary. It's what theologians call a numinous experience. It's an experience with God that is both transfixing and terrifying at the same time. It's like watching, say, for example, Shark Week. I don't want to watch it. I don't want to see it, but I, I can't pull my eyes away. I don't, I don't want to see it, but, but I, I got to know. That's the idea here. It's terrifying, yet it's transfixing. This is a reminder that God is not always just a, a best friend to us. He is God. I remember reading the theologian Donald McCullough who once said, if we took serious that God was going to show up at a worship service, our ushers would hand out safety belts and hard hats. Abram has this vision that is terrifying. And notice what happens. God gives reassurance. Your offspring will be sojourners in a land. Now remember, these sojourners in the land, that's Israel in the wilderness who are reading this, hearing this. And it's a reminder to them that the God of the past knew what was going to be happening now. And he is over and indeed God of the future. So he says, Abram, your, your descendants are going to be afflicted in a land for 400 years. I'll bring judgment on the nation and I will bring them out. And now Israel, who's hearing that, is able to say, God did that. And then he gives a personal word to Abram. You'll die in peace. Your fear of dying in battle, dying prematurely, don't worry about it. You'll die in peace at a good old age. And then in verse 17, there's this vision of a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passing between these pieces. Now, verse 18 lets us know exactly what this is. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. We'll get to the content of that covenant in just a moment. But understand that what God is doing is he passes through the pieces. He's making a covenant with Abram saying, I am your God. I will deliver you and your descendants. And if I fail to do that, may I die just like these animals. Now it's interesting, God who can never die said, if I break my word, I'll die. God will not break his word. God is emphasizing the fact, and notice that this is unilateral. Abram doesn't pass through these. This is God saying, Abram, I'm giving you my word. Even if you fail, Abram, I'm going to be true to my word. This is echoed in 1 Timothy where Paul wrote, even if we are faithless, God is faithful because he cannot deny himself. This points us to the promise that God has made in Christ. Where Christ died on our behalf to instigate a new covenant a new covenant that winds the scope of salvation, including us as Gentiles who have faith in Christ that we are grafted into these promises. And that's why the scope of the promise is so amazing. You read in verses 18 through 21, the scope of the covenant. I'll give your offspring all the way from the, the river of Egypt all the way to the Euphrates. God has promised us something greater. New heaven and new earth. You want to know the scope of the land that we'll possess? New heaven. New earth. That's pretty big. That's what is ours in Christ. So rest assured. 
God is faithful. He will fill his word, even when we are plagued with doubts. Charles Swindoll tells of a time with his grandchild. I began with a grandson's story, and I'll end with one, even although it's Charles Swindoll. He was watching his grandchildren one night, and he'd let them stay up late because that's what grandfathers do. He said when there was a knock at the door, and it was surprising because it wasn't the doorbell, it was a knock. So Swindoll said he got up, and his little oldest grandson, who was maybe four or five years old, followed him, hanging on to his leg. So he gets to the door, and he looks through, and it's a friend of his son's who just was in the area and came by a little late at night. Everything was fine. After they talked for a few minutes and Swindoll closed the door, his grandson, who was still attached to his legs, said, Bubba, we don't have anything to worry about, do we? Swindoll said, no. He said, you know why my grandson said we don't have anything to worry about? Because he was holding on to my leg. He was with his granddad, his Bubba. So he didn't have anything to worry about. His security was found in the one in whom he was holding to. And church, our security is found in that he is holding on to us. I want to ask you to bow your head with me this morning. It's common to our human experience that we will face doubts and struggles and fears at one time or another. There are those moments where we become aware of our own frailty. At those moments, I encourage you to to remember God's covenant, to remember that he is true to his word. Even as he reminded Abram, your descendants will go through a time of suffering. But fear not, I'm going to deliver them into the land. So he reminds us that the covenant we have entered into with Jesus is eternal. We may experience suffering, but he will bring us into the land, the new heaven and the new earth. Father, thank you for these promises, these reassurances that you have given us. Now, Lord, help us to cling to them, to trust you in these. Not the things of this world, but to trust you. In the name of Jesus, amen.